Ruthie, thank you so much. What a way to start a service. 
they could not and that's why we gather together first baptist church sun city west is to celebrate the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ the salvation that he offers each and every person and we thank you for coming and being involved in our worship this morning and those of you that are on facebook and on a live stream we welcome you as well if this is the first time in the house that you have been here we'd love for you to take the opportunity to take the guest card that's in front of you and fill it out drop it in one of the offering boxes when you leave we would certainly appreciate that so that we can acknowledge your being with us this morning we come to celebrate jesus let's pray together and then we will continue our time of worship and celebration father thank you for the time and the opportunity that you've given us today to come to celebrate your resurrection to celebrate your victory to celebrate your father's plan that was in existence before even creation and so as this family of faith father we come humbly this morning to give you that honor and praise and glory and i ask that the power of your spirit will be among us in this day in Jesus' name we pray amen let's stand and let's sing paul come right ahead sir Join in your praises together. Glorious is thy name. Thank <laughs> you. 
seated and we'll sing together the wonder of it all. <coughs> Oh, what the wonder of wonders that 
just tell you that uh, when we talk about Arizona State Missions offering, you have already almost exceeded our offering goal. I think $4,500 was our goal, and we're right at about $44.67. So if somebody wants to give about $33 this, uh, this week, that would be great. If you want to give more, that would be super. There's a lot of work to do here in Arizona. Carrie, come and lead us in prayer, if you would. Ooh, good morning, Lord. I keep thinking about that last song, The Wonder of It All. Please join me in prayer. Oh, yes, Lord, the wonder of it all that you loved even me, that you sent your son to die for little old me. And Lord God, I pray that if there is just one person here that doesn't know you, oh Lord, press it upon their hearts. But Lord God, first of all, let's thank you for this day. We praise you, praise you, praise you. You are so awesome, Lord. And we know that you are still in control. I do pray for the media problem. Oh, that's such a devilish thing, Father. I pray thank you, God, for the message that our pastor has before us. I pray that the spirit will be so strong that people will respond, that they will check their hearts. I ask all of this in your precious son's name. Amen. <coughs> Marvelous songs that we are singing together, beginning with Out Faith in God.
song on the solid rock. Going to share it together. Again, let's stand as we sing, would you? Heaven, 
and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up water in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishment. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply, till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terror. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. <clears throat> These are the words of the Lord.
choir. The 73rd Psalm. We continue our series on Psalms of Hope in Challenging Times. Reflect specifically in the psalmist that went through a great difficulty. Now I have a question for you. Has there ever been a time in your life when you doubted or were tempted to doubt God? You don't have to answer that question verbally. I would say that most of us have had those times when we don't understand. We say, is God really everything that he says? As you read the 73rd Psalm, you can almost read it like a script in our world today. That's what makes timeless. They are for a particular time, but they speak of humanity. Here we find that it speaks to us as a confession of a man who's just like we are. A man whose faith had grown dim at a particular point in his life. His psalm is, is like a page out of the diary of a man whose faith was on trial. He was trying to do right, but the right seemed to turn out wrong. The result was his faith had become weak, this one who was strong at one time. He had become foolish, he had become ignorant, and he had actually become like a beast before God. The biblical writers were human beings just like we were. They were fallible people who had difficult struggles as they maneuvered through the process of following Almighty God. They dealt with life and life's problems. And this writer, what he does is he related one of his experiences. He wanted to make sure that it was out in the open and that others might be walking through that journey might be encouraged. He began his story, I think, in a remarkable way with basically his conclusion. He's basically saying, listen, here, here is the dynamic, triumphant note. In verse 1, he says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It's almost as if he's saying, I'm going to tell you a story, but I want you to understand that I'm going to give you the end first. So that you understand it's solid and he says God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart God is always good to his people that's the key phrase from this man but he didn't he didn't get to that point just automatically it was a struggle and it seems to me that if a person keeps believing that God is good to his people, those who are pure in heart, that that person is going to be victorious. That person is going to be able to live a well-adjusted life. No matter what life throws at them. Because there comes this understanding that God is trustworthy. 
This man had gone through an experience that had badly shaken his faith. You might reflect on a time in your life when that's happened. And as a result of that, he says that in verse 2, But as for me, my, fight, my feet almost slipped, and I nearly lost my foothold. He acted foolishly, and he almost turned away from God. But as for me, my foot had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Years ago, I remember, I think about a six-year-old, we were in Bear Canyon just outside of Alamogordo, New Mexico, uh, with a bunch of the, my dad were kind of leading that crew, and we were going up that mountain, the trail, and coming back down, a lot of gravel, small little trail, and the canyon on the other side. I'll never forget that my dad lost his footing, and he began to slide down, and my mom grabbed his arm. And he didn't go down, but he almost did. He lost his footing. I lost my foothold, the psalmist said. So what was the cause of his trouble? Well, it appears that he did not quite understand God's dealings with him, maybe even with all of us. The first step to let him down that, uh, that road was is found in verse 3. He said, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here he looks at the ungodly, those that aren't trying at all, those that are evil, those who, who could care less about anything else, anything God-related, and yet here these people are, and they are succeeding in every way. He says, listen, they increase in their wealth. They are healthy and strong. They seem not to fear death. And even when they do die, they seem to die in a very peaceful and painless way. They don't appear to have troubles like anybody else does. They're arrogant. They're deceitful. And they're blasphemous. In fact, they are so healthy and have so much that their eyes are bulging out because they're fat. <laughs> and then he says their pride covered them like a golden necklace. All of that compressed from verses 3 through 12. He goes and he says, look at these people that aren't even trying to serve God. They're not even trying to, to get into the scriptures to understand, to, to try to live a life set apart, and yet they seem to be doing well and not a care in the world. And his own life was in stark contrast. He was trying to live right. He was trying to avoid sin. He was meditating upon the things of God. He would, would evaluate himself when he saw sin in his life. He would go and he would confess it and he would turn away from it. He was trying to live a life pleasing to God. In fact, in verse 14, he said, All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. And so he sees this contrast. He sees those that are wealthy, those who are celebrities, those who are the power brokers politically. And he sees how they are deceiving, arrogant. They could care less about anybody else except their selves. And yet they continued to be unfeathered. They continued to grow 
an increase in power and wealth. Not a care in the world. Nothing seemed to be able to stop them. And he was having this difficulty. He didn't tell us exactly what was having, happening in his life that brought all this about. It could have been an illness. It could have been a trouble in his family. It could be some kind of economic reversal. It could be difficulty with his children. We don't know that. But whatever it was, it was causing great hurt and grief. And he was being tried to the limit. And he said, God, I don't understand. I don't understand why when I try to do good, it turns out wrong. And these who don't try to, to do good, they seem to be elevated in every way. Everything seemed to be going wrong. Nothing seemed to be going right. And so the psalmist, in his pain and his trouble, he said, I just, I, I can't grasp it. You see, his concept was, he believed that God was holy, that God was righteous, that God was true, that God was one who intervened on behalf of his people, that he surrounded them and took care of them and loved them. That's what he believed. But it seemed, as he looked at the situation, that God had not done that for him. How could he reconcile this that is happening to him with what is happening to the ungodly? Why isn't God expressing himself, his presence in my life. It's a very dangerous position to be in. If you reflect on verses 15 and 16, you find that he told us that his faith, his faith wavered severely. He became envious of those foolish, arrogant people they were doing well. They didn't have troubles like everybody else did. He secretly, in fact, longed to be like them. And so he'd begun to feel that it was no use, of no good value to serve the Lord, to live a right life. He began to logically and rationally think through this process in a very human understanding and saying, well, you know, if they're doing good and my God's not doing anything, then Gosh, that might be the way to go. He felt that he had cleansed his heart, that he'd washed his hands for nothing, that God was not answering. He was even at the point of blaspheming God. And all that restrained him was the fear that he might influence someone else to do wrong, as we see in verse 16. The only thing that, that did not allow him to share what his inner thoughts were to the world was the prospect of turning children away. There is only one conclusion to draw in his mind, and that was it's useless to try to do right. It doesn't pay to serve the Lord, because look at the ungodly. They're just doing great. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, man, I've spent so much time just in the Scripture, walking with God, trying to do the right thing, trying to be a good neighbor, trying to think right thoughts, trying to serve and to help anywhere that I possibly can. And in fact, you might be passing through that experience right now. 
you might be having a hard time. There may be one challenge after another challenge after another challenge that is descending upon you. And you've been living the Christian life. You've been reading your Bible. And you, you've been doing everything that you possibly can to get a sense of what God desires you to do. And yet it seems like one thing after another is piling on to you. Seems like everything's going wrong when you're doing right. And to make matters worse, you look around and you see the ungodly and they're fat and sassy. <laughs> you're discouraged. You're wondering, does it really pay to serve Jesus? I mean, to give all in to him? You've questioned if there's any use to live right. And you find yourself just in the pits. If that situation fits you, then you need to hear carefully and prayerfully this man's testimony because that's exactly where he was. So what was it that saved the psalmist? Well, he went to the sanctuary of God. He went to church. In verse 17, it says, Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood. Then I understood their final destiny. All of a sudden, things began to make sense. When he went to church, his thinking was straightened out. Not just that he felt better when he went to church. You know, sometimes we go to church and say, oh, I feel so much better. It, it is different than that. He began to see life in a different light. He did not merely feel better, but he got straight and right in his thinking. Thinking about others, thinking about himself, and thinking about God. It began to change. The outlook began to be understandable he didn't merely forget about his problem for that particular time but the reality is that this this was a permanent solution for him our faith was not intended to be an escape our faith was intended to be a solution to the problems of life because life is going to happen in this fallen world and we have to learn to deal with it with a strong faith. There's a living lesson for us. It is the absolute necessity of every single believer in Jesus Christ to think spiritually. And you say, well, wait a second, Pastor. I know I've got God's Spirit living inside of me. And uh, since I'm a Christian and I read His Word, I think spiritually all the time. But do we? You see, the whole trouble with the psalmist and many times with us is we, we focus upon the problems of life in terms of our own thoughts and our own understanding. In this world, we see things from a human standpoint, from the ground level. We think logically and rationally many times instead of spiritually. We need to see things from God's point of view, and God's point of view is from above. We need to see the full, broad picture, His picture. 
and not just our picture. It's especially important to think spiritually if we're going to understand God's dealings with us. There are four questions that just come up automatically because that was the psalmist's problem. He was looking at ground level. He was looking at everything that was happening to him at that point, that snapshot. Why did why are the ungodly allowed to profit to get better? If God is God, why doesn't he just wipe them from the face of the earth? The ungodly. And if God is God, why does he allow me to suffer like I'm suffering at this particular time? Those are the questions that goes through the mind of a psalmist and probably some or many of us in the most difficult times. This is the problem. Trying to understand the infinite God with our finite minds. Because we look at the ground level. And he looks at everything. In the final analysis, I think there's only one answer, and it comes out of Isaiah 55, 8. The scripture says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You see, that's the ultimate answer. The first thing we've got to realize, the first thing that God teaches us, is that when we consider him, his voice, his ways, when we get into the scripture, that we, we understand that we don't do it at our familiar low level, our ground level of what's going on in our life right now. Rather, we understand that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher. And so we need to try to take the look from his perspective, from his understanding, and get the broad picture. Part of the psalmist's problem was that he had, had been uh, staying away from corporate worship, as many tend to do. And sometimes that creates a problem, doesn't it? We get out by ourselves, and all of a sudden, the worlds begin to, the thoughts of the world, the things of the world, begin to trouble us we don't have that that family of faith there's something about the worship of god corporately there's something about the body of christ that makes all the difference in the world one of the supreme values of going to church is that you have spiritual thinking and if you have spiritual thinking then you're not going to be thinking about the things of the world as much you do your research and you read and you understand the concepts but you also understand that God is the God of this world and that everything I'm going through that, that doesn't mean that he is going to just wipe it away I'm going to have to go through some of those things and so what does the psalmist come to understand when he entered the house of the Lord I think there are three things and I want to talk about them in the few moments that we have left first is the fate of the wicked the second is the foolishness of his own ways and third is the faithfulness of God you see faith in the midst of faith in the midst of fire is a faith that sees life as a whole the first fact that he learned in church was the fate of the wicked as he said in verse 17 and that changes your mindset 
verses 17 and 18, he says, Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. The psalmist began to understand from God's perspective that God gives the opportunity. And yes, the wicked, the ungodly, the evil, they do terrible things, but God gives them the opportunity to continue to come back to him. But there will be a time, there will be a time that it is gone. Part of the psalmist's problem was that he was looking at the present. But in the house of God, he began to look at the wholeness of God's picture. And the truth was that those who were wicked, those who would not turn to God, those were on slippery ground. They were already beginning to be on their way out. In spite of appearances, their prosperity was temporary. Ultimately, they would fall and they would pay for their sins in judgment. And so in God's economy, the ungodly, the unjust, those who don't, don't, don't turn to him, they will be dealt with. We don't need to worry about that. And we certainly don't want to envy them and follow them. He realized also that he had been looking at their prosperity and not their punishment. He had tunnel vision on what they had right now, but not what they were going to get. And that's not a road he wanted to go down. His problem was that he was thinking in a partial, incomplete way, a snapshot, if you will, in what was going on right at that moment. You see, things are not always as they appear, and that's the whole story of the Bible. Look at the world before the flood and after the flood. There's a vast difference. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah, before and after. Pure wickedness, but God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. What a fool Abraham seems to have been when he gave Lot the opportunity to go wherever he wanted, and Lot, Lot took all of his flocks, all of his family went down to the very best of the fields close there to Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, he was in the hills and the mountains. And people would look at him and say, how foolish was that? But Abraham understood. Lot's prosperous situation. It was a problem. And it created a problem for he and his family. We might ask, does it pay to be godly? Well, wait till the end. See what the final chapter says. You'll have an answer to your question. And he's very clear. Those that do not embrace God will face judgment. Jesus pointed out the need for seeing life to the end in its broad view in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It's a beautiful contrast. Jesus lays it out. He says, listen, 
Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Judgment. Punishment. That's what he's saying. It is a reality. Whether we like to look at it or not, whether we like to look at the end and see the, the awfulness of what being judged by God in an ungodly manner of life would be like, it is a fact. But he says, listen, small is the gate and narrow is the way. But in the end, it leads to life. He says, yes. Yes, it is good to read your Bible, to study, to live the right life. Even though the unrighteous, the evil may be prospering, you need to stay the course. You need to do everything God desires you to do. When you, God, through His Spirit, came to live inside of you, when you accepted Christ, it changed everything. It was a transformation. And it began that journey that you need to continue faithfully. So even though everything doesn't fall your way, you stand up straight, and you stand up strong, and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus continually. Because the other option, Jesus said, leads to destruction. In our world condition today, it is very difficult. Even in our society, we, we see... We see celebrities that seem like they've got everything. We have uh, those who are ultra-wealthy, power brokers, both in business and in the political scheme, behind the scenes. They seem to just not be touched at all. Everything seems to just go their direction and their way. But let me tell you, we have to understand we have to pray for them and, and pray that at some point those that don't know Christ will turn to him. Because it is a temporary prosperity. It is a temporary power hold. It is a temporary point of being a celebrity in the prime of their lives. And that moment may appear to be great for them. But the scripture says that those who are far from God shall perish. Verse 27, he says, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. And he said, what kind of God is that that's going to destroy those? Well, he gives the opportunity. Just like he's given us the opportunity to follow him. And, and uh, probably most of us here, all of us here, have done that. We've accepted Christ. He's given us that opportunity, and he gives every single person that opportunity. But if you don't follow him, if you don't embrace Christ, we're looking at it in a, in a, uh, a New Testament, a modern scene. If you don't accept Christ, then you are far from God. I think we need the insight of Moses. You see, Moses is a good man who took a, a good, long view of life. The result, according to Hebrews 11.25, was that he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Moses understood. Age, decay, death, judgment, those things, they're certain. 
The most terrible thing about sin is that it blinds people to this realization. It blinds people. They don't see that their power and their wealth and their glory are for just a short time. They're blinded by it. It is really sad. And that's why we must pray. The psalmist saw so vividly in the sanctuary of God that not only did he cease to be envious of those type of people, but he began to feel sorry for them. He realized the truth of their position. And folks, we ought to feel sorry. We ought to have compassion on the ungodly that we know. Because in God's broad scheme of things, it is a sad ending unless they turn. Also, a faith in the midst of fire is a faith that doesn't act irrationally. When the psalmist realized the fate of the wicked, he became embarrassed about what he had thought before. In verses 21 and 22, he said, When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. In church, he realized that his thinking not only had been faulty, it had been foolish and had been almost fatal. The word foolish here actually means stupid. <laughs> he confessed he was like a beast. He was behaving irrationally, stupid, bizarre, absurd. And now when he understood in the house of God, he understood what the situation was. He was embarrassed. Have you ever had an embarrassing situation in your life? Mercy. It's bad. It's really bad when you have an embarrassing situation in the pulpit. Because <laughs> you can't hide from anybody. <laughs> Let me tell you. The psalmist began to understand. One of the beautiful gifts, supreme gifts that God gives us is understanding and reasoning, the power to think. And he kind of contrasts this with became a beast because uh, we understand that, um, that animals are highly intelligent or can be, but they lack the power of reasoning. It may not always seem so, but they don't have that ability to reason things out. God's given us that ability being created in his image power to think through things and in the thinking the psalmist the way that uh, that he did as he said like an animal how did that come about what did it look like well he doubted God because God didn't act immediately he doubted God because he felt that God since he hadn't acted immediately he wasn't going to act at all it was all on the psalmist timetable it was all about him and what he felt needed to happen at the particular time. And God didn't do it in his timetable. And so it made him crazy. Because he was thinking on the ground level. In church, the psalmist realized that God's justice would ultimately reign. And he saw himself foolish for even questioning it. In verses 13 and 14, we have this sense that 
that the psalmist just felt like that since he was doing everything right and he was following God in everything that he was doing, that it ought to be just a happy day. Every day ought to be happy without any problems, just a sunshiny day. Wouldn't that be nice? He said in verse 13 and 14, Surely in vain I have kept my pure heart. In vain I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued and I have been punished every morning. He had this wrong understanding of what the life of following God is. Just because you give yourself in our day and time, give yourself to Christ, doesn't mean life is going to be easy. And you know that. Because as I look out, there's not a one of you that hadn't had some difficulties in one way or another. So we know that it's not that way. We just need to remember that we've got to trust God through it. Sometimes we, we trust all the gifts that God gives us and the pleasures and the happiness and the joys of life. And then when things go wrong, we begin to grumble. I think about the Israelites who left Egypt. Things didn't go exactly the way they wanted it to just because there was the Egyptian army behind them. <laughs> they began to grumble. But we have the ability to do that. We can take our health, we can take our strength, we can take our material possessions, uh, we can take our family for granted. But the moment things go wrong, we just stop, start complaining. So why should God do this to me? And so that's not thinking correctly. Instead, what we need to do is understand that God never promised us a smooth road. Instead, in Acts 14, 22, he said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It says in Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. And Jesus said in John 16.33, In this world you will have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so we need to remember that we've got to plow through this. In the challenging times of life and the the times it seems like it's just not right. The things that are going on are not right. They're affecting us adversely, and I'm trying to do my best. And I'm trying to do the right thing, and it seems like I get hit one time after another. But let me tell you, God did not save Daniel from the lion's den. He saved him in the lion's den. God did not save the Hebrew children from the fiery furnace. He saved them in the fiery furnace. We find that David... God did not save him from the valley of the shadow of death. He saved him in it. And you know what? He didn't route him around it either. <laughs> he walked with him through it. We come to the place where we understand that God is going to take care of us in the midst of the fire. The last thing I want to mention is this faith in the midst of crisis is a faith that trusts the faithfulness of God. In church, he understood the faithfulness of God. In verses 23 uh, through 25, he said, Yet I am always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I have in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. You look at that passage you see that word yet 
yet. The psalmist says, listen, I've failed. I've sinned. I, I have not had the faith in you that I should have. And even in the midst of my failure and slipping and almost wanting to walk away and turning my back, yet your prison, presence has stayed with me the entire time. You can trust, trust God will always be with you. Even if you go through the trials and you go through the types of situations and anger and frustration and doubt that this psalmist did, God will never leave you. He says, you take my right hand. You're faithful. You've not blotted me out of your book. You've allowed me forever to be in your presence. Friends, this is truly amazing grace. He related three things that God is faithful to do for us. Number one, he saves us. Verse 24 says, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you take, take me to glory. That word take is an interesting word. It's the same word that's used when, uh, uh, for when Enoch was taken to God. It's the same word that was used when Elijah was taken to God. It is the idea that God, as he took Enoch and Elijah to heaven, he's going to take us into his presence. That is faithfulness. He saves us. Secondly, he satisfies us. Verse 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire but you. Now, that's, that's moving everything out. The psalmist is no longer concerned about the wicked and their wealth and their health and all of that. What he's concerned about is there's nothing here on earth that I desire more than you. That is a complete change because he satisfies us. And third, he strengthens us. Verse 26 states, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's the one who strengthens us in our heart. He's the one that's going to get us through every single trial of life, no matter what it is. No matter what you face, I promise you, you can trust him. There are three resolutions that he made in verse 26. And these are three resolutions that I want you to think about today as we move toward our invitation. Number one, he resolved to keep near to God. He realized that God is the only one who matters. It's that personal relationship with God. In verse 28, he said, But as for me, it is near God. It is good to be near God. So he resolved to keep near to God. Secondly, he resolved to trust the Lord. Even when he didn't understand what was happening, he says, I'm going to trust you. And third, he resolved that he was going to share with others what God had done in his life. That he would actually become a witness, a worker for God. Those are the three things that I would like for you to consider in our invitation this morning. Would you commit yourself to be near and to stay near to God? Would you commit yourself to trust the Lord no matter the circumstances? And would you resolve to share your journey, your faith with those around you, those that you come in contact with. So like the psalmist, 
you can actually share your experience and your testimony, your story, because it is your story. The only one that can write about this and tell about what God is doing in your life is you yourself. And so during our invitation this morning, what I'm asking you is would you take these three resolutions the psalmist made that changed his outlook and make them for yourself this morning. Would you do that? There may be other decisions for you to make. We welcome you to do that. Join me in prayer. Father, as we come to this time and this invitation, I ask you to, to simply hear what we have to say. Our commitment to you to resolve to be near you constantly, to trust you regardless, and Father, to share your faithfulness in our lives with others so that they might know. And today, in this invitation, as people are praying in the pews right now in a few <coughs> moments standing as we sing the invitation hymn, I pray that that commitment is made. And God, I ask you to listen Father, to strengthen because your presence continues to be with each individual no matter what they're going through. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Stand and let's sing our invitation hymn. I'll be at the front. Whatever decisions you might have to make, you make them or make them before God. These resolutions.
And uh, take this off so I can breathe a little bit better. Um, Nancy, she wants to share with you, but I do want to remind you that tonight we have our first family fellowship. It's going to be a great dinner, the spaghetti dinner. It's going to be catered by Olive Garden. I hope you like uh, Olive Garden. Either way, come on tonight. We'll look forward to that time at 5 o'clock. And not only the fellowship dinner around the tables, which uh, we need so much, but also uh, Susan, uh, where are we at here? Yeah, the Swab's daughter is going to be singing, and we are looking forward to her many concert. And uh, what a blessing it will be. If you've heard her, uh, you will never forget. So it'll be a blessing tonight. And then the vision team is going to briefly share uh, their progress uh, on their vision report uh, on structure. And uh, we will end that with a very high note. So just, uh, just plan to be here and enjoy that time. Okay, I uh, will turn it over to Nancy for the moment. If you took time to look on the breezeway table as well as the counter out in the main lobby, you will see that there are five different sign-up sheets out there. The first one is for the monthly men's breakfast, which will be on Tuesday, October 5th at 8 o'clock. Dr. David Johnson from the State Convention will be a guest speaker. So men, you have today and next Sunday to sign up for that so that there will be sufficient food. Then there's for the Single Only Sisters, SOS. You will be meeting on the second Thursday of the month, October 14th. And ladies, we need you to sign up because there's going to be coloring materials provided for you for that day. So that's the second sign up. The next three have to do with the Pathways to Peace in the Present weekend conference with Dr. Orge and his wife, Anne. You will not want to miss that weekend. First, there will be a Friday evening dinner, and we need to know how many of you to plan for. Then Saturday morning, men, another breakfast for you with Dr. Orge. And then ladies, at noon on that day, or at actually 11.30, I believe, we will be having lunch with Mrs. Orge, Anne. And you will get to hear her speak at that luncheon. When you get your upbeat newsletter this week, hopefully, it was mailed this past week, but when you get it on the front cover, you will see the topics for each of those sessions that will be part of that weekend, Pathways to Peace in the Present. There will be a couple of ladies, one out at the main lobby counter and one at the breezeway table to assist you because I know we've got a number of sign-ups. They all look different, but it can be a little confusing. So please take the time to stop by either the breezeway table or the main lobby counter to begin signing up for those things. Thank you. I can't believe it's already men's breakfast time again. That, uh, that is marvelous. I think about two-thirds of the men at the breakfast, this last breakfast we had in September, I think 21 out of the 32, it was their first breakfast. So it is, uh, it is a great time. This morning, uh, we have James and Debbie, Jim and Debbie Jasper. Why don't you all come right up if you would. Some great folks here that uh, they've been... Uh, regular tenders since probably about May, April, May time frame. And uh, they are just the sweetest people. And I hope that you will get to know them. I know their Bible study class has other events. Uh, they're faithful in so many different areas. And so it is so good to have you both. And uh, as is tradition for us, 
we're going to let the church vote on your membership because we are a congregational polity. All in favor of accepting, uh, Jim and Debbie, if you would say that by the sign I, please. Aye. If you're against that, the sign no. There you go. Okay. Haven't had a no yet. There's one church I had a grunt back there somewhere, you know, but that was, that was like my second church, I think. Anyway, it's good to have both of you. And uh, we have Forrest and, uh, and Jean, who I remember your name. <laughs> You're so funny. Uh, standing uh, with the Jaspers. Yeah, go ahead and just do that if you would. And then we have Jim and Donna Ross. Why don't y'all come on up if you would. Jim and Donna have been, uh, you guys have been attending here for, uh, since about the spring, right? At the same time, yeah, yeah. That's the great folks as well. And uh, we are so glad to, uh, to have uh, uh, Jim and Donna. Uh, they've been involved in our Bible studies, involved in our worship time, other uh, activities as, uh, as time allows. They both uh, kind of still work, kind of like some of the rest of us up here. Uh, so we, we, uh, we just enjoy the input and all that they, uh, they already contribute, and we look forward to, to more times along those lines. Um, all in favor of accepting the Rosses, if you'd show that by the sign I, please. Aye. And if you're against that, the sign no. Okay, all right. Sound like a good thing on both of you, and I think uh, you guys, you're your Bible study leaders, if you would come up and stand with, uh, uh, thank you so much. Um, our folks are going to come around in just a few moments and give you the right hand of Christian fellowship. That's what we always say. Don't know if they're actually going to shake your hand, if they're going to bump you, or if they're just going to walk past. But anyway, and this day is a different day. But basically what we want you to know is they're saying welcome to our family. And we are a family. Um, and you guys know that because you are part of that already. You're just enjoying the so many different activities and studies. And secondly, we're going to be praying for you and working beside you in these days ahead. And we look forward to what God has. Well, we are about to close. I do want to remind you, I think, uh, uh, in fact, Nancy has already talked about the uh, pathways to peace in the present. Um, I've known Dr. Ord since 1996 when I moved to uh, the Seattle area to pastor, and he was the executive director of the Northwest Baptist Convention. And then after a few years, he moved on to be president of Gateway uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. He used to be Ga uh, Golden Gate. And uh, I was on the trustees there, and we just had a good relationship there until I, I moved here and had to move off. But we continue that great friendship and relationship. Uh, he is a sought-after speaker. His wife is a wonderful speaker as well. Both are authors. Uh, this is a very special opportunity for us, and I hope that each one of you will take advantage of it. Right now, we want to take advantage of our final prayer and coming and welcoming these great people. So, Jerry, if you would. Father, we thank you for this great uh, church and for the many blessings that we have, Father. We, we just pray that you'll go uh, with us this week and help us to do the Great Commission, tell others the truth. There's so many people out there that are unsaved and they're blind, they can't see. We just pray that uh, eyes will be open, ears will be open. We pray, Father, uh, for us to create a clean heart within us and renew a right spirit. Father, we pray for our country, that we can come back to a godly country. We pray for the world that is in turmoil, but you're, you're in control, Father. Help us to focus on you. We pray for the missionaries all around the world, Father. Just uh, give them uh, protection, give them uh, the, the uh, knowledge.
knowledge and wisdom to get the word out. Father, we pray for the nation of Israel to bless them. Father, we pray also for all the other churches, uh, the preachers, evangelists, Father, that they will tell the truth, that they will get people to come to know you. Father, again, we just thank you for everything you do, and we give you praise and glory for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>